we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. Before I dial the phone, I'm like, is this the person that is going to help me feel regulated? You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you watch me on The Drew Barrymore Show, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Demona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another satisfying episode of Dates and Mates. It's that time of the year. Mariah Carey has her Santa hat on. Starbucks has changed their cup color to red. And, you know, the holidays are a magical time. They're a magical moment when families come together and people celebrate. But the same things that make them so great can actually cause some strain, like cramped spaces and a little too much booze and overly nosy visitors. I'm just saying, maybe that's just me, but maybe you relate. And if you do, what you need, my friend, are boundaries. Both to make it through the crush of cuffing season and to make it through another holiday with mm, well-intentioned friends and family. And that's why I have relationship and recovery coach Dufflin Lammers joining me today. She'll be outlining how to set up healthy boundaries with your loved ones and dates so that you can have a happy and healthy holiday season. But you know, I always come in hot with the news you can use. Our big headline today is, just FYI, your fourth date should absolutely be a day date. Then later in Dear Demona, I will tackle this familiar question. My matches aren't putting in the same effort that I do. Should I confront them? Ooh, the season is heating up, and so is this episode. Let's dish. These dating dish. Cosmopolitan Magazine says, just FYI, your fourth date should absolutely be a day date. I love the confidence of this Cosmo headline. (laughs) Uh, They run through what they call a typical run of dates of what happens on each date. I I feel like I'm saying this with judgment already, so I'm trying to stay neutral. This is I'm just reporting here, folks. This is what they say. First date, coffee. Second date, nice dinner, and possibly kissing. Third date, stereotypically known as the sex date or where things become more intimate. Pause, folks. (laughs) When did the third date become the sex date? I'm just like, don't like kick them to the curb before the third date. And now already we're talking about being intimate on the third date. And so then I'll go through the reasons why they say the fourth date, it should be a day date because I actually do agree with that. But, like, pump the brakes, folks. We do not need to have that expectation that we should be intimate by the third date. You don't even know that person yet. Like, of course, you can be. You could be intimate by the third date. But just take that pressure off. I do not think that that is the expectation today. Especially, especially, hi, I I really thought we were going to be past COVID by now. I really, really thought. Like, we could just have conversations, normal conversations about normal dating. It's not. (laughs) People out here having things like COVID and other things. And you're going to just, you're just going to have sex on the third date because that's the typical outline. Choose your own adventure. But I don't think the relationship needs that kind of pressure and is the antithesis of slow love. So I say, I say, It's the point when you two can have a conversation about 
the consequences of sex at that point, then you say, okay, this is the right time to have sex with this person. So if you feel comfortable doing that after third date, then go for it. If you feel comfortable doing that after the first date, go for it. I'm just saying, you can't get that magical anticipation back. And then they talk in the article about all the magical anticipation and all that. But trust me, third date, there's you're, you're, you're cutting it off early if you're having sex there. But again, choose your own adventure. Okay, so let's get on to the day date part. <laughs> Now that I have gotten off my soapbox, uh, day dates are great. And they say it's great to do it then because then you're probably comfortable enough with each other. But it's still early enough that if red flags come up during the date, you can make your exit. And you feel less pressure to dress to perfection or play up the sex appeal. You can't hide behind alcohol. Like, what, what would happen if we did the day date before we had sex with them? Very interesting. And it also says another benefit is that you get to escape pre-date anxiety since you're not waiting around all day. And that's interesting. I, I'm sure there are people listening who are like, I totally relate to that. Like, I get anxiety. I kind of want to address what is happening in those anxious moments because I think if you prepare in a different way, you'll feel less anxious and it doesn't matter if the date's happening in the evening or in the day. But noted, I I I agree with that, that you can get it out of the way, I guess, if that's what you want. So I'll tell you why I like a day date. I like a day date because it gives you a different window into that person's personality. I find that in the evening, generally people are drinking on dates. You know I have you set a drink maximum, the point when you are no longer going to be yourself or make your clearest decisions. And I think that's really important within those first three dates in, in terms of my three-date rule is to be as clear as you possibly can on those first three dates. You can totally get hammered on like the fifth date. <laughs> but in those first three dates, you're still evaluating one another. You're still getting to know one another. You're still trying to assess if you can trust this person. And a day date can be great for that. It's also great for activity dates, which I think you should do early on. So you could play a game. You could play like mini golf or go bowling. Bowling's kind of tricky because one person's bowling while the other person's sitting. It's always kind of weird because then there's not a lot of talking time. But you could do pool. You could do any number of daytime activities. Dave and Buster's. I think Dave and Buster's is like great. Um, if Dave and Buster's is listening, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. But you can do something where you see how competitive they are. You see how they root for you. You see how they respond to losing. You just see how playful they can be, how much they can access that. I live in Los Angeles. We go hiking all the time. I know it's winter, so where you are, it might not be a thing. But if, if you can bundle up and still like go out for a walk in a public place where there's other people, of course, go do that. Come here to L.A. I'll take you hiking. <laughs> or do something else that kind of gets your heart rate up. Because when you, when you get your heart rate up and you start having the adrenaline spike, you actually can transfer some of those feelings of excitement and your heart rate increasing to the person that you're with. So you might be like, I don't really know, but I felt like more energy on this date because you physically felt like you had more energy and you may associate it with that person, even if it's not necessarily coming from them. 
It's something that you can create. And sometimes you just need to get over that hump of the first, no pun intended, (laughs) of like the first three to five dates to get to the place where people can be their most authentic selves. And that's all, that's all I want. Like if you get that from a dating experience, you are winning. Forget like the long-term goal, but if you can get to authenticity within three to five dates, both with yourself and with the other person, you are setting yourself up for dating success. So fourth date, day date. Try it out. Let me know how it works for you. When we come back, as promised, my friend Dufflin Lammers will be here to teach us all about holiday boundary setting. Grandma will not be drilling you on why you didn't bring anyone home for the holidays this year, folks. Self-care is always top of mind for me. And while I love a soak in my hot tub and a mani-pedi, there's so much more to self-care than just physical pampering. You need to engage all of your senses, touch, sight, smell, taste, and especially sound. Sound is the sense that is most emotionally charged, and you can transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires with Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can find stories about an intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. Radically inclusive, Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or keep things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash datesandmates. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash datesandmates. dipsystories.com slash datesandmates. Welcome back. I am here with my friend Dufflin Lammers. Dufflin is a relationship and recovery coach with over 10 years of experience. She's trained in attachment repair, in tantra, in intervention, and in coaching. She has published and performed for the LA Times. She recovers International Conference on Addiction and Associated Disorders, the National Association for Poetry Therapy, HBO, NBC, and the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And now she's here for the first time on Dates and Mates. Please give big smooches to Dufflin Lammers. Hey, Jamona. It's so good to see you all the way across <laughs> across the pond, across the miles, across the whole continent. <laughs> I know, right? Who knew? So long ago. I mean, we've, uh, we've been in the trenches together. <laughs> we've been through a lot. You know, as we sit here together approaching the holidays, I am kind of reminded again of some of those lessons that I learned. And I, I've been getting a lot of questions from clients about how to maintain boundaries, particularly in new relationships. So let's start there is a lot of people are dating, you know, we're in cuffing season, peak dating season is around the corner. And 
I find that a lot of people are afraid to really express what they want in a relationship because they're afraid the other person won't like them or that they'll end something that otherwise was was going to be the greatest love affair of their life. Do you agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely, uh, because we're all really vulnerable at the early stages of dating. So it makes sense for there to be a little bit of anxiety and uh, and we're all just learning each other. So so figuring out, you know, where we stand and where the other person stands and it's always tempting, right? To if you're if you're out on a date with somebody and they're like, "Oh, I love Iron Maiden." to be like, "Yeah, me too." But you need to if you don't love Iron Maiden, <laughs> you need to be who you are. And and so that's I think that's the big thing uh, that boundaries give us is an opportunity to be our authentic selves. Yeah. Even beyond that, I see a lot of tests that come up early on with boundaries. Like, for example, some of my listeners are going to be like, yes, yes, yes. Let's say you set a date with somebody and they cancel on you last minute. I just had a question like this on the Drew Barrymore show. Does this mean that this person doesn't respect me? Does it mean that that it's, it's, it's it's not a clear boundary, right? But having set aside time for that date and having that person not show up, it is kind of a, an unsaid boundary that's been broken. Yeah, to a certain extent. I think what's important in that moment is is to be honest about how it feels, right? Rather than than just responding and saying, oh, okay, well, you know, another time or, or respond and being like overly nice, you know, and sweeping your feelings under the rug or responding and being like, okay, off with their heads that, that there's a place in the middle to say, oh, I'm disappointed. Right. And then see what the other person does with that. So you're letting them know how it feels when they, that, I don't know if it's necessarily a boundary, but they aren't keeping a commitment. And that tells you, you know, a little bit about who they are. And, you know, as you move forward, I think it's, do they do it again, you know, or are they able to, when you say I'm disappointed, what do they do with that? Yeah, you're right. It's about commitments, but commitments sort of are a factor, I think, in setting boundaries. And this is why I tell people to get off of text as quickly as possible or off of the chat from the app so that you're actually setting a phone call, a WhatsApp, a FaceTime, something that is an additional step. And a big mistake that I see people make is they just say, oh, well, call me. Like they haven't set up their the expectation. They say, oh, give me a call. Here's my number. There's no expectation in that. But if you say, I'll be home tomorrow night between seven and nine, I'd love to hear from you. Then you've kind of set up something that has a container around it. And then you can see how that person shows up before you even get to the date where then they're ghosting you an hour before. That happened to Drew Barrymore of all people. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. But you know what the funny thing is? Sometimes the most accomplished, attractive, extraordinary humans have the hardest time with dating. Why do you think that is? (laughs) I mean, I feel like part of it is Sometimes people, like you said, there are tests. I think that sometimes people are testing them to see how they'll respond to things. And I think sometimes two people get nervous and so then they act weird. I mean, I think there can be lots of different reasons for it. But also if if you're somebody, you know, like 
Brad Pitt, like maybe you haven't had to learn how to be boundaried and keep commitments and things like that in order to get a date. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's not a skill that you've learned. And it's funny because I did say to Drew, not in reference to that situation, but in other dating situations, you have to take into account the other person may have, he looked, that guy was probably just nervous. He was like, he either was nervous, he thought she was a catfish, <laughs> but you get, you get tested in a way in dating, whether you're a celebrity or not, you get tested all the time on what you will allow. And that's why I think it is related to boundaries. And if you go into dating, having clarity on what what your needs are and what your bottom line is in certain situations, then you don't have to think about it again. Because I, I think I feel like that causes us a lot of mental anguish when we're like faced to the, with the decision again and again and again, like, will I allow this person to reschedule on me? Well, if you already made a decision that like my time is valuable and if I'm, I'm just talking about my own boundaries now, <laughs> like if I put something on the calendar, I'm going to be there. Like, I'm in integrity with that. But I found in dating that it didn't mean the same thing to other people. I, and I wonder, like, is that a value of mine or is that is that a challenge of mine? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I feel like, you know, yeah, when two people come together, there's always that negotiation, right, of like, here, here are my standards and my boundaries and here are the other person's and, and do they match? And like you said, it's way more important for me to know what are my wants and my needs? What are my standards? What are my boundaries? What are my bottom lines? And then for me to honor those and be true to those, right? That's not saying that there's no room for negotiation because that's part of what boundaries are is, is, you know, it is flexible. It's like a gate. It's not like a wall, right? So that, so that we can come together with another human being who isn't us, right? And we know where we end and the other person begins. But at the same time, I got to I gotta know if that's, because I think there's also different levels with boundaries, right? There's like preferences and there's desires and then there's deal breakers. So if that's a deal breaker for you, then it's a deal breaker for you. It doesn't really matter, you know, like it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Oh, you're really, you're really hitting on something. Because uh, I talk to people about having three must-haves and one deal breaker. Because sometimes uh, we tend to stack up the deal breakers, but then I get all kinds of follow-up questions like, well, what if, they, what if they're a felon? Well, what if they, you know, uh, are abusive? And I'm just like, I'm just assuming a base level of respect and, you know, integrity of anyone that you would engage with. And the boundary, the, the deal breaker really comes into play when it's like the decision between I like this person, but is this person what I really need right now? Is this something that I should continue to invest in? Or is this something if I project out two years, five years, 10 years, is this really my person? Yeah, because I think the the thing too is knowing our own story and knowing what what were the things that tripped us up in the past, right? So if if I again and again and again have been chasing unavailable people, well, then I know if I see on a date signs that the person I'm dating is unavailable, I need to not paint that red flag white, right? I need to see it and own it and, and take responsibility 
for the fact that, you know, I've been here before. Am I going to make that same old choice or am I going to have a new choice and a new experience? Oh, that's deep, girl. How do people identify what those patterns are for themselves? I mean, that's a matter of really deep personal exploration. And there are different ways to do that, right? I think doing it with a trusted other is important because sometimes other people see things about you that you don't see, or they see patterns that you know, they can help facilitate you uh, becoming aware of in, and in, in a loving way too, right? In a compassionate way, because it's not about like blaming and shaming yourself. It's about owning it and, and then making choices based on conscious awareness. So, I mean, whether it's coaching or therapy or going to a, you know, a support group of some sort, I think there are lots of different ways to do it. Yeah, that's so true. And when you look at where that feeling has been repeated, sometimes you can get the clues to your pattern and see like, oh, I've been here before. And these patterns are so deeply ingrained, sometimes, you know, from childhood and sometimes from past relationships. Absolutely. Especially for those of us who came up in families where, you know, there might have been some dysfunction or even a lot of dysfunction. Right. And and that's different for all of us. I had. Can I tell you a story? Uh, always. I, you know, I grew up with a single parent dad and uh, and my mom was always, you know, off doing her thing. And she's this sort of amazing, dynamic creature. And. And she's very emotional. So one day she calls me up on the phone, and this is about 25 years ago. And she was really upset about something, and she was threatening suicide. And oh. I was distraught, and I didn't know what to do. And I got off the phone with her, and I called a friend for help because I was like, "I this is bigger than me. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. My friend walked me through it, and I called my mom back. And I said to her, Mama, I love you so much, and I really hope that you don't do anything to hurt yourself. And I'm not equipped to handle this. So let's find you someone who is. Mm -hmm. And we found her someone to talk to, right? And everything is fine. And for me, that was right. That was one of the hugest boundaries I ever had to set in my life to, to be able to say that to my own mother. But I learned so much from it because yes, there are lots of other little situations, you know, that have come up since then. Right. But I learned that I could set a boundary and that I could own it and that this was a loving thing to do. And I am not responsible for anyone else's life or their feelings because we're afraid to set boundaries because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Right. But but the truth wow. is, we're taking care of them when we take care of ourselves. You're so right. And thank you for sharing that story. Like, I can't even imagine being in that position and feeling like, you know, especially for someone who's supposed to be responsible for you. To feel like you have to be responsible for them in such a major life choice, it feels very unfair. And I feel like I don't know if I would have had the the uh, awareness to even answer as as clearly and as um, compassionately as you did. Girl, I wrote it down, girl. <laughs> I wrote it okay, down. Okay, so that's <laughs> that is actually a good tip, Dufflin. And I tell my clients this too. I say for hard conversations, script them. Like not that you have to read them. <laughs> like I have a prepared statement for you, but but if you already know the point that you're trying to make and you find the words and even practice it, like phoning a friend like you did 
to sort of work through the language, then even if it doesn't come out perfectly the way that you you wrote it down, you at least usually will get the heart across and the intention across. Yeah. It feels like you can be more responsive and present instead of reactive. Exactly. Exactly. And it's exactly what you were talking about before, too, of, you know, it's in our bodies that we know when a boundary has been crossed. And that means we need to be present in our bodies. That means to be, you know, embodied is to be someone who can be authentic and who can have boundaries in the first place. So I think there's something to that, too, just to to be able to show up, right, and be present. And at the same time, yeah, the role playing is, is super valuable. Yeah, completely. A lot of it is a preparation. So I want to make sure people are prepared going into the holidays, going into cuffing season, peak dating season, whatever is next for them. I often talk about myths in love. In fact, the book that I'm writing is called The Modern Love Myth. You also talk about myths around boundaries. And I I find in in my work and as I've been writing this book that the myths really these stories that we tell ourselves sometimes hurt us more than they help us. So I I imagine you see the same thing and you have identified the myths around boundaries that are keeping us from living our fullest life. Absolutely. I mean, the first one is this, you know, that that we're going to hurt people. And the truth is when we stop pleasing people, people aren't pleased, right? But the fact that they're not pleased about it doesn't mean that we should trash our boundaries. Uh, it just means, it might actually mean the opposite, that like this was overdue, right? Or, or that they're uncomfortable. And sometimes it's really clear and it's really easy to see. And sometimes it's like, the writing on the back of a vitamin bottle and you're like, I can't, right? You can't figure it out. But it's like, if if I go, if I go on a first date with a guy and he's offended that I won't sit in his lap, is that about me? Clearly not, right? <laughs> but then, but then things get a little squishy when it comes to, especially when it comes to family, right? So supposing I have, um, a new partner and I'm going to meet his family for the first time for the holidays. And I don't want to stay at their house. I want to stay in a hotel instead. That feels more comfortable for me. And they're offended. Is that about me? Right? So it gets a little bit more sticky when it comes to those things. And it just, I think we just need to remind ourselves that we have rights and, and that we're allowed to have boundaries. And the sooner that we own them, the better off we'll be. Is there a right way and a wrong way to express your boundaries in situations like that? I don't really believe in right and wrong in general. I think that there are there is a compassionate way to express a boundary and that that is the way that I prefer to express a boundary. So whenever expressing a boundary, I do my best to top it and tail it, which is to say I, I say, like I did with my mom, right? I love you, mom, and I hope you don't do anything to hurt yourself. And here's the boundary. And then, and, and then afterwards, you know, let's, let's find you the help that you need. So there's just a lot of softness around it. Like it's cushioned. So the top would be the acknowledgement of the other person or their feelings, what they've, what they've presented you with. Mm -hmm. The middle is your boundary and the tail is the action step. Well, it depends on the relationship, because I think if it's your partner, then you want to move into collaboration, 
what are we going to do to solve this problem? Because you want to be a team with your partner. If it's not your partner, if it's your boss, that might be a different conversation. Or if it's a friend, you know, I think, I think what happens next depends. It might be a request or it might just be, you know, thank you so much for, for hearing what I have to say. How does that land for you? So you might be inviting mm-hmm. them to solve the problem. So that third part, I think, can vary depending on the relationship. So true. And then also, you've also identified different types of boundaries, too. So I imagine that conversation looks different depending on what kind of boundary it is. Yeah, because there are certain boundaries like, listen, a lot of the boundaries are just for me, right? That that here's the thing I'm not doing anymore, whether that's I'm not smoking cigarettes anymore or I'm not chasing unavailable men anymore or I'm not going to cuss anymore, whatever the thing is for somebody. And those are all different boundaries, right? So some of them, nobody else even needs to know that I'm doing it. And that's more and more true for me. The more I practice boundaries, the less I need to tell somebody, this is my boundary and thou shalt not pass, right? And the more I can express it with my behavior, where supposing, for example, you know, I'm I'm talking to my friend and she ran into my ex and she starts talking about my ex and I really don't want to talk about my ex. And I could get angry with her and say, you know, I really don't want to talk about that. And that would be fine. Or I could just change the subject. Mm. Yes, that's very masterful. (laughs) 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 And and nuanced. And I think all of these skills in dating, in relating, the more we practice them, the easier they become for us to access. And in a way, the better we are able to express ourselves without, to me, it just keeps coming back to this emotional, this, this feeling in our bodies or the emotions that we're having. It's like, like I'm remembering a, a difficult conversation I had a couple months ago that like, usually I script it and it goes pretty much according to script, but, um, I just messed it up, Dufflin, and like my words got jumbled at the beginning and then it just, it just did not land. My intention did not land. And I got this like sense of panic in the middle of it. And all these emotions came up where I was just like, if I had been a little bit more prepared for this, or if I had kind of placed myself in the emotion that I wanted to convey to that person or done like anything that you just talked about, I think I would have felt better about how the conversation went. And that happens to all of us, right? No matter how many times we've been setting boundaries. And part of that is just about like, I have a really hard time setting a boundary if I'm not emotionally regulated, right? right? Like if, if, so it's so, so hard. Oh my gosh, you just, wait, we can't move on yet because what you just said is so, so foundational. Like I tell people when I'm coaching couples, I'm like, don't have an emotionally charged conversation when you are in the emotional state. Like see if you can say, this is really important to me. I need to take a walk to clear my head, but can we talk about this tonight? When you can come back after having a little bit of perspective, because if you just launch into it when you're in the emotional state, then you kind of lose control of where the conversation is headed. And it's back to what I was saying earlier about responding versus reacting. 
you're you're in a reactionary state. That's the lens that I look through a lot is is the attachment lens, right? And when you're looking through that lens, you can't make a secure choice from an insecure place, right? We all have features. We all have, you know, our little peccadillos. And I think that's the thing is, you know, when we're dating, part of what we're looking for, going back to that, you know, how we feel with people is, do I feel regulated by this person? Do I feel secure in their presence? Yes. And I'm very into the energy that people bring. Like I've noticed my husband is usually very even keel. He is just like, he's like the chillest man on the planet. (laughs) He has very clear boundaries, but like he's pretty unflappable. And I think he's kind of the emotional center of our family. Like he's who everyone goes to to get grounded and regulated. So if he is dysregulated, we are all in chaos. Like it just, the whole house erupts and it just starts from like, he didn't get enough sleep or like his sports team didn't win or whatever it is that has dysregulated him. And it's very interesting kind of flipping it back. Like when you have somebody that you go to for emotional regulation and that you, you have trust in the boundaries they set and their boundaries change or their emotional state changes, you almost have to adjust what your position is in order to not get caught into the tornado. Yeah, which is when you do exactly what you said, which is I'm going to go out for a walk, right? So if you're if you've got two people that are both dysregulated, they're not going to be able to regulate one another, which is the primary way that we that we find regulation, right, is co-regulation with another person. And we usually have, you know, certain primary partners that we do that with. So that's the thing to do is you go your separate ways, each go to your own corner, right, and get regulated. And then you can come back and have the conversation. But also having other people. I think one of the things that happens now is that we put so much emphasis on this primary partnership that we that we don't maintain those relationships with the other people that we can go to to get regulated when our primary person is not regulated and neither are we. So true. So true. And we also feel sometimes like we can't ask for help. We can't like we can't do that. That that was a very brave thing you did to call your friend and say I'm in this situation. I need help navigating this or even even to figure out what your boundary is in a particular situation. That takes some bravery. Do you recommend that people identify those co-regulators as well in advance or is it something that's situational? That's a good question. I haven't really thought about that before. I'll respond from personal experience. For me, I know who those people are. I know who those people are that I can call this person. And and now I've gotten into the habit of before I dial the phone, I imagine I'm like, is this the person that I that is going to help me feel regulated? And I just imagine their presence. And and usually that will tell me if that's the right person to call or not. But it's a small number of people. Oh, wow. I like that idea of imagining. There's so there's so much in like visualization and preparation and then getting like you said getting back into our bodies and I I feel like there's so much especially around this time of year of like pushing energy out that we could all benefit during this time of 
going inside a little bit more. And I feel like that will help us figure out where the line is and how to compassionately deliver the boundary to the people in our lives. Absolutely. There's so, see, this is the thing is there's so much pressure around the holidays, right? We all want to have a nice holiday. And some of us are, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I'm flying 8,000 miles to go be with the special people on the special day and right. And I'm spending lots of money. And so it's sort of like the stakes are raised at the holidays. And plus on top of that, I'm with family. And plus on top of that, if you bring in like the new guy you're dating, then, then, oh, the stakes are even higher. And I think we just need to give ourselves permission sometimes to, you know, if, if things, if you start to feel overwhelmed or you feel maxed out, like it's okay to, to step outside. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to go home. Even if you have a little FOMO or there's a little twinge because somebody wants you to stay that knowing your limits is a super important thing this time of year. I literally could go for like another hour talking to you about boundaries, but I know there's so much more that you offer and you're even doing a course. Boundaries are the new black. Tell us about what that is. And um, we will put the dates and all the information in the show notes. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. This is only the second time I've done it. Uh, So Boundaries of the New Black is happening on December 17th. It's a three-hour interactive online workshop. So it's not a webinar because who wants to go to a webinar? It's really about participating and getting in there and practicing some of these things. And so some of it is about learning, okay, what are boundaries exactly? But then also getting clear and having a three-step process to be able to effectively set them and enforce them. I love it. And then the boundary bubble exercise. (laughs) You're giving people that too. (laughs) I love the boundary bubble exercise. It's so good. You talked about the visualization. It's so powerful. Thank you so much for joining me, Dufflin. Be sure to follow Dufflin on Instagram at Dufflin, D-U-F-F-L-Y-N. And we are in the holiday season of giving and Dufflin is giving something to my listeners for free. She has made a free guide for all of you. It's the eight top tips for getting through the holidays with boundaries. You can also check out her amazing course, Boundaries Are the New Black. It's on Saturday, December 17th. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. I feel like I'm putting in more of an effort than my matches. What should I do? You should stick around. Well, the inbox is overflowing with questions, and I'm here to help. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. We got this anonymous email that says, Dear Damona, I'm a 25-year-old female, and I've been putting a lot of effort into online dating recently, and I've been challenging myself to go on at least one date per week. So far, there's one trend that I run into a lot while talking to men online, and that is they don't ask me questions about myself. I will ask them a question like, what is your favorite genre of music, for example, and they will respond with a long paragraph, but then not think to ask me the question in return. It really frustrates me because I feel as though this is a lack of awareness and interest in me, and it really turns me off. It really is a deal breaker. Am I overreacting? Is there a way I can communicate this without sounding overly negative and judgmental? I don't know what to do. And I am tired of carrying the conversation and not getting the same effort in return. I feel like when y'all send me questions and you ask things like, am I overreacting? 
I feel like you're asking for me to validate your feelings and you're, you don't want me to tell you you're overreacting. And I'm not going to tell you you're overreacting because your feelings matter in this. And if you feel overlooked or you feel unappreciated, of course, that's not how you want to feel on a date. But I also want to give you your power back to be able to have the kind of connection that you want to have on the date. And sometimes I feel like our expectations are like a third character there at the date with us. <laughs> there's us, there's the, the person we're sitting with, and then there's what we expected of them. <laughs> and when we're in competition with that image of what we wanted, sometimes it keeps us from being in the moment. And I think that's actually what you're responding to because you are asking a question with the assumption that that person is interested in the same topic. Maybe you're even kind of planning the question because you want them to ask you the question, maybe. And so we get disappointed when we had that narrative in our mind. We had that assumption that they were going to be engaging on this particular topic, but we are not including that other person as they are showing up in our conversation. Does that make sense? And it's funny because I had this conversation with Drew Barrymore on the Drew Barrymore show uh, and Alicia Silverstone. And they were like, oh, if he doesn't ask any questions of you on a date, that's a red flag. And I said, mm, not necessarily. It could be that they're very nervous. A lot of times when somebody is nervous and they're trying to impress you, they think that I should just talk more. I'll just say more. I'll tell her all these things about me and then she's going to be impressed with me and then she's going to like me. And it doesn't even occur to them that they haven't asked you anything because they've already made up their decision about you. Now, I know this doesn't take into account how you're feeling on the date, but I'm just saying what might be going through that person's head is, this woman is so beautiful. She's so lovely. In my mind, she's the perfect girl for me. And I am this schlubby <laughs> loser that has to sit here and tap dance like a fool to get her approval. And then maybe she'll like me and I will match up to her expectations. Completely forgetting that you also want them to show interest and show that they like you. So sometimes when we get this over-talking from someone on the date and we read it as they're not interested in me, it's actually the other way around. It's kind of weird. But I love in your question how you want to take control of your dating destiny here. I love that you're asking, is there a way I can communicate this without sounding overly negative? Yes, because I want you to communicate your needs to the other person. And I think it's vitally important that we establish that in the first few dates. And early on, we establish what we need back in the relationship. And that's how you don't get into a situationship months down the line where you're like, we had completely different expectations of what we were doing or what we needed from the other person. All you got to do is highlight the fact that they haven't asked you any questions in a very nice way. You can say, is there anything you'd like to know about me? In, and when you do that, any normal person who 
maybe is feeling a little bit nervous and wasn't even aware that they were just answering your questions and not asking you anything and over talking the situation is going to say, oh my goodness, I didn't ask her anything about herself. What an idiot I am. Now I'm going to lean in and I'm going to be engaged. And yeah, I'm going to ask her questions. I have been given permission, the go ahead to engage with her. Now, he might just be a narcissist. And then if he's like, is there anything you'd like to know about me? He'll be like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Then you know. Okay, check, please. Thank you and goodbye. But chances are he's going to say, oh, what I really wanted to know is this. Because it might be that the questions that you're asking, maybe they don't actually connect with him and he's doing more tap dancing. Like maybe he's not actually that into music and he is trying to convince you and convince himself that he's right for you because he actually, maybe he is interested in music and if he just keeps talking about it more, he can talk himself into it. That could very well be the case. And before you say, but Demona, I don't want to date anyone. It's a deal breaker if they don't like music or they're not interested in the same things I'm interested in. Just remember that interests are a very low predictor of long-term compatibility. It's goals for the future and values. So try to ask questions that really demonstrate that. Try to ask them to tell stories like, what did you do for summers as a kid growing up? Or who are you reading? And what do you love about the books that you're reading? And really start to understand how they think about the world. That'll tell you a lot more than their playlist. So just make sure you're focusing on the right things on the date that you are just kind of ringing the bell lightly of like, also, I'm here too. like ask me questions. But let's not just jump to assumptions that that it means that they're not interested in us. I know we all want to be validated. We all want to feel desired and feel interesting. And we all are. And we just have to sometimes have a little bit of grace for the other person in knowing that they might just be catching up to our greatness. I hope you enjoyed episode 441 of Dates and Mates. Don't forget about our big cuffing season giveaway with OkCupid. It's on now through December 15th. Just share this episode or any other episode of Dates and Mates to social and tag me and tag OkCupid for a chance to win three months of OkCupid Premium. And if you have a cuffing season question or any other question, the DMs are open at Demona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And the phone lines are open, 424-246-6255. We have an all Dear Demona episode coming up in the new year, so get your questions in now. We'll be back again next Tuesday with international dating and relationship expert, my longtime friend and collaborator and colleague, Hunt Etheridge. Until then, I wish you happy dating.